0: you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at uh, chapter 1, 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. You Probably many of you know that uh, all the chapter verse divisions in our, our Bibles are much later, so when Peter wrote this letter, uh, he didn't have chapter 1, chapter 2, and all the verses. So sometimes the division of chapters does not match the division of his flow of thought. So we try to match uh, his flow of thought as best we're able to. That being said, we'll read this morning from 1 Peter 1, 22, through chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from this part of God's Word? Pay careful attention. This is God's Word. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your word is not uh, fleeting like grass or the flowers of grass. They're here today and fading tomorrow. Your word endures forever. And and likewise, the fruit of your word in our lives is a fruit that endures into eternity. Lord, would you bear fruit in us today? As we receive your word with faith and love and humility, uh, help us to believe it and to lay it up in our hearts and to practice it in our lives, all for the glory of our great Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray that in all things you would help us to see Him, for we ask it in His name. Amen. <laughs> Several decades ago, maybe about 50 years ago, uh, a man named Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called "The Mark of a Christian." It's a small little booklet. We commend it to you. It's uh, well worth your read. You could read it pretty quickly. Uh, but it's a great little book. And in that book, he asks this question, what what mark, uh, what characteristic, what defining mark has Jesus given to his church uh, by which they can show the world that they are his people? He, he points out that throughout history, there are different things that Christians have done to try to set themselves apart to show that they're Christians. You know, sometimes if this was a style of clothing. If you think about maybe monks, for example, sometimes it was a, a hairstyle, some sort of physical external mark that, that showed that these were uh, Christians. Uh, but Schaefer points out that there's one mark, one defining characteristic that Jesus has given to his church universally throughout all the ages, that is to mark his people as his people. What is that mark? Schaefer says that that mark is love for one another. Not just love for all people, though the Christians are certainly called to love all people, but as a defining characteristic, as a specific mark of the church, God's people, the people who trust in Jesus, are called to have love for one another. Uh, within the fellowship of believers. Schaefer calls this, among other things, the final apologetic. Uh, he, he was a skilled uh, apologist, giving a defense of the faith, uh, particularly in the 60s and 70s, and uh, was able to give answers to those who had questions about the Bible, about Christian belief. He was a skilled apologist. But even he recognized, at the end of the day, we might be able to give all of the right answers We might be able to study the culture, study the world around us, understand the difference between what's out there and what's in the scriptures. We might be able to give honest and ready answers at all times. But if our lives don't demonstrate the truth of what we believe through love, uh, then the watching world often won't hear us. But Jesus himself says, the world will know that you are my people by the way that you love one another. In fact, in his, his prayer, his high priestly prayer, before he went to the cross, uh, Jesus prayed that his people would be one, that there would be unity, which certainly involves love. And he said that this unity would be a demonstration to the world that the Father had sent the Son. So you can think about the opposite of that, that when Christians don't love one another, where there is a failure to love other believers, to demonstrate the love of Christ in our relationships with one another, then it's almost as if the world can look at believers, they can hear what we say, they can look at our lack of love, and they can say, I don't see any reason to believe that the Father sent the Son because there's a lack of love among God's people. Schaefer points to love for one another as the final apologetic, as the most important mark of the Christian Not to divide love from right doctrine, but to highlight the way the two beautifully go together and cannot and should not be separated. Why is love so important as a mark of the Christian? As Peter has pointed out, uh, we live in this world as what he calls elect exiles, chosen in the Father's love before the foundation of the world bought with the precious blood of Jesus, welcomed into his family, living in this world as his people in exile. Uh, We have a a home. We have a, a hope that is yet to come in the future. It's certain, it's coming, but this world is ultimately not our final home. We await a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth, and therefore we are in exile. And Peter is pointing out that how we live now as elect exiles in this world, reflects what we believe. uh, What we believe about Christ, about sin and forgiveness, about truth, about right and wrong. Or to put it another way, Peter is reminding us here that our experience of the love of Christ should be evident in our lives through a transformed, a changed life that there's an intimate connection between profession and practice, between who we are in Christ and how we live as his people. Last week we saw this in the connection between hope and holiness. He called us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed, and that hope should demonstrate itself now in holiness, that we live as unto the Lord, our lives oriented, set apart, Toward God. Today, we'll see that faith in the gospel should lead to love for one another, our lives oriented toward other people, especially towards other Christians. And all of this is in the context of our call to live as exiles, often facing hardship and yet clinging to the promises that are ours in Jesus. So to put it in a question How should we live as followers of Jesus so that our lives show forth the truth of the gospel? Peter's answer to that, that we'll look at this morning, is by a sincere love for other believers, rooted in God's grace and growing. So we'll look at three points related to all that. First, we want to look at the command to love. And we want to look at the divine origin of that love. And then finally, we want to look at the growth of that love. So let's look first at the command to love. Uh, There's there's two commands in this passage that we've read. The first one comes in verse 22, where Peter simply says, love one another. Uh, And not to belabor the obvious here, but just to point out, this is a command. Uh, This is a command that Christ lays upon us. One of our uh, men would often say and remind us, this is not optional behavior. Uh, This is a command given to us from Jesus. You can keep it, you can break it, but Jesus calls us to keep this command of love. And Peter is getting this clearly directly from Jesus. You may remember in John 13, uh, at the beginning of John's account of the Last Supper, that, that night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus gathered with his disciples and, and in an amazing act of humility and, and service and condescension, he took off his outer garment, girded himself with a towel, and washed the feet of his disciples and, and called his disciples to do the same for one another. And he, and he said, a new command I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Jesus gives this command as a way of showing the love that flows out of faith in the gospel. That this is a love that comes after we have received God's love for us in Christ. We see that in a couple of ways. Uh, In this passage, Peter refers to our being purified by obedience to the truth. What's he talking about there when he says obedience to the truth? It's just Peter's way of of saying faith in the gospel. Uh, How do you obey the truth? By believing the truth, by believing what Christ has done for us. Peter's describing faith as obedience to the truth of the gospel, and that faith has a goal, brotherly love. In other words, the grace of God brings you into a family. When you put your faith in Christ as your Redeemer, as your Lord, God brings you into the family. He adopts you as his beloved children. And probably like your fathers and mothers, uh, he is telling us here, love your family, love your siblings. How how many of you fathers and mothers have had to uh, remind your children, if you have more than one child, how many of you had to remind your children, hey, your family, uh, don't forget that. Treat each other like family, because we know how family can be. There's going to be a little bit of conflict, a little bit of bickering sometimes, and we have to have that reminder, hey, you guys are tight. You have blood connection. You're family. Treat each other like family. There's an expectation of of love within the family, and Peter is telling us that same thing. You have been purified. You've been set apart through faith in Christ, and the result of that is in the family of God's people, love one another the result of that should be a sincere brotherly love we also see this from jesus's own pattern that this love comes from receiving the love of christ first as we were talking about jesus washing the disciples feet, when he gives them the new command to love one another he says love one another as i have loved you he sets his love as the example to follow as the standard by which we demonstrate our love to one another, which raises the question, how? How has Christ loved his people? He has loved us by giving himself freely. He loved us by considering others as more important than himself, even though he is the Lord of glory. He demonstrated his love by coming not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The love of Christ is always outward-oriented. He's always looking outside of himself. Read through the Gospels. There's not a page in the Gospels where you don't see Jesus demonstrating this kind of love, gathering to himself those on the fringe, the outcasts, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and lavishing them with the love and grace of God, bringing them in that they would know forgiveness, that they would know the welcome of the Father, demonstrating that in his own life as he gave himself on the cross, dying in our place as the ultimate act of sacrificial love. Peter captures this, that our love is meant to reflect the love we receive from Jesus. He captures this with two words, Uh, Well, more than two words, but we'll just look at two. He calls it sincere brotherly love, and he calls us to love one another earnestly. Sincere and earnestly. Sincerity, without hypocrisy, genuine, the real deal. Uh, We probably have heard before that the the word sincere is a Latin word that means without wax. Uh, And it, it comes, at least as far as I understand it, it comes from uh, kind of the way sculptors would use wax to fill in uh, gaps and imperfections in statues. You, know, you might have a piece of marble you're chipping away at, and oh, you chip a little too much, you can't put it back on there, and so they would get some sort of molding wax to fill in that gap so that it, it would cover up the imperfection. When Peter says, We're to love one another sincerely, He's just highlighting that it should be a genuine love, that it should not be a, a double-faced love. I'm going to love you with my words in public, but behind your back, I'm going to cut you down. Uh, I'll be loving in front of other people, but when the doors are shut, no. He calls us to a, a sincere and genuine love, a love without hypocrisy. Now, I think the sad reality for most of us is that we're all kind of trained cynics, or maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe y'all are as well. I struggle with cynicism. You know, what's what's somebody out for? What are they? What's their ulterior motive? What's the hidden agenda? And and we often do this where we we try to assure somebody ahead of time, I'm not looking for anything because we're all kind of trained to suspect this. I got an email from an old friend the other day. Somebody I hadn't seen in years. We worked together uh, at the YMCA maybe 23 years ago or so. And just out of the blue, he sends me an email saying, um, "You know, he heard somebody talking about me the other day, and he just wanted to send an email and say hey and 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 thank me for you know something I'd done when we were working together 23 years ago." And in the email, he said, "Don't worry, I'm not trying to sell you anything." (laughs) We act like that, right? You know, what what's your angle? What are you looking for by treating me kindly? And and Peter's reminding us here. As Christians, our love is meant to be sincere, genuine, not, not angling for some uh, ulterior motive, some hidden agenda, but the response, the free and joyful response of love that we've received from Christ, to love one another sincerely and to do so earnestly, eagerly, with persistence, not giving up even when it's hard And didn't we see that in the book of Acts as the believers cared for one another and not one of them was ever in need as they loved one another with their own gifts. Peter calls us to this command to love one another. It's a supernatural love. It's the fruit of supernatural work. Peter highlights here the divine origin of this love. Just briefly uh, to point out in verse 23, Uh, through 25, Peter points to the fact that this moral transformation that results in love is the work of God's grace. That we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the word of God, which is living and abiding. It's a divine and supernatural work that changes our lives. It takes dead people and makes them alive takes blind people and opens their eyes, deaf people and unstops their ears so that we are changed from the inside out. We are given new life as a gift of God's grace. I think it's just important to maybe highlight that again. We, we should never tire of reminding ourselves and reminding one another that all that we do as believers is the fruit of God's grace. That's that's what separates Christian faith from every other religion in the world. Christian faith starts with the good news of God's grace, that he initiates in spite of what we deserve. He changes us. He brings us out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life, and then our lives reflect that. Every other religion starts on the other side. It says, do this and live earn it, work hard enough, and then God will show you favor. I had a conversation over the weekend with a young man who was um, not, not, not a Christian, wasn't pretending to be a Christian or anything like that, and, and his assessment of kind of all religions was they're all basically the same at the end of the day. and They're just arguing over nothing. Well, maybe we argue over nothing sometimes. Maybe that's, that's right. Uh, but it was a fundamental misunderstanding of what separates the gospel from every other uh, religious tradition in the world. No other religious tradition starts with a God who is gracious, a God who forgives sinners, a God who requires perfection and then provides it in his own Son so that all that we need we find not in ourselves but in the divine Son of God given for us. The love that we are called to show one another as God's people has a divine origin in the grace of God, causing us to be born again by the power of his word, a word that is living and abiding, that remains forever. In this love, Peter reminds us, is meant to grow. It's meant to grow. Notice verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Peter says that we're to long for spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up into salvation, so that our lives may reflect the salvation that we have received, that we would grow more and more into the likeness and image of Christ. This is a love that is meant to grow. Um, how? How is this love supposed to grow? Peter gives us a few pointers here. Uh There's a negative aspect of this growth, verse 1 of chapter 2, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, This is the pattern that's given to us in Scripture, that repentance is not simply putting good things over bad things, but repentance is seeking to dig up the root of bad things that are in our hearts. It's kind of like gardening, right? If any of you have a flower bed, uh, you know that if you dig up the weeds and you don't put something back uh, in its place, that nature hates a vacuum. And those weeds are just going to keep coming back. And so gardening, your flower bed, or whatever the case may be, it's a constant work. Pulling up weeds, uh, nurturing, nourishing the good things that you want to grow. And, and Peter's giving us that same imagery. To, to put away the things that are characteristic of sin. Malice. You know, a heart that is hateful. Deceit, lying and not loving the truth. Hypocrisy, claiming to be one thing while knowingly being something else. Envy, desiring what somebody else has and being willing to sin in order to get it, or even hating the other person because they have something you don't. Slander, using our tongues to tear down, uh, often with falsehoods these are all sins that divide people from one another. They're they're all sins, in other words, that go against loving one another. They're sins that separate, and love is meant to bring us together. They're sins that tear down. Love is meant to build up. And so Peter's highlighting, these are things that are in all of our hearts, just by the fact that we are sinners in a broken world, we are all going to be tempted to these things in some way or another. And Peter reminds us here that in order to grow in our love, we have to constantly, in an ongoing way, put these things aside, like taking off old filthy clothes and putting on new clean clothes to put away malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So there's a negative aspect to this growth. As you look at those words, consider where you see those things in your own heart. None of us is immune from that. We all struggle in different ways, and there are other lists in the New Testament that we're to put off. Uh, But consider uh, these things and how they show up in your own heart. And hear Peter's call to you to put those things away in order that you might grow. Not only is there a negative aspect to this growth, but notice that Peter highlights the internal desire That fuels this growth. Notice verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Uh, What a beautiful image. Infants need to grow. Uh, Infants need nourishment. And their mothers provide that nourishment for them so that they can grow the way that they're supposed to. Uh, And infants long for that nourishment. Uh, you, You can tell just from watching babies In the same way, Peter calls us as believers to long for on the inside, to have an internal desire for the things that will lead us into growth. When he talks about pure spiritual milk, some of your translations might say uh, something like the pure milk of the word. Some interpreters have taken this to be describing the word. But I think it's, it's at least that, but it's more than that. This is such an experiential way of talking about growth. This is not just a matter of, uh, you know, read the word, check the list, move on. This is a longing for the whole of spiritual experience. This is a longing for an encounter with the living God in all of his grace. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's a tangible desire, right? It's not just no things. It's long for pure spiritual milk so that you might grow up into it, into salvation, rather. Putting away sin, longing for the things that are good. And then finally, along similar lines, Peter says in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How do we grow? We grow by experiencing the goodness of the Lord in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, to experience the deep, deep love of God that is able to look at us in our sin and in mercy and compassion, move towards us and provide the remedy and the solution for our sin, and to say to us, come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Experience his grace for yourself. The forgiveness of sins, the freedom from sin, no more condemnation, no more expectation of judgment, but a perfect love in Jesus that has cast out all fear and has secured for you a wonderful future and an unbreakable hope. If you have experienced the goodness of the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ then your life ought to be characterized by an ongoing longing for more of that. Isn't that the way relationships are supposed to work? You get married. I've had weddings on the brain for quite a while now. You you get married. You're excited. You have been joined together with this other person uh, in holy matrimony, as we say. You've experienced some goodness in that relationship, and you are meant to long for more of it, to know more and more of this person now that you are bound together in marriage. And and Peter is saying that if we have experienced any of that with the Lord, that it's meant to produce in us an increasing desire to know more of Jesus. And isn't that the truth, that the more we know Jesus, the more we love him, the more we want to know him more deeply and draw near to him in his grace and love in other words peter is telling us that the way we grow in our love is to grow in our experience of the lord's love for us in christ that he's put away our sin and he's clothed us with righteousness through faith in the gospel that he's forgiven us and he's welcomed us he's given us a new status beloved children. And if we have experienced that, then we should long for it more. And only that will enable us to love one another in the way that we are called to as his people. Let me close with just two, two points of application uh, as we finish here. One is just to um, encourage you. You know, maybe sometimes we we gather for church, and, and, um, and hopefully we're encouraging you in your faith each Sunday. But maybe some Sundays you walk away and you feel like more burden has been laid on your back and less burden has been lifted. And I hope that's not often the case, but I recognize sometimes that can be the case. So it's important uh, often to say, you're doing a good job. <laughs> it's, a, it's a privilege from my perspective to be able to see how the Lord is at work among you. to to see the ways that you are loving and serving one another out of your own experience of the goodness of God. You've tasted, you've seen, you've experienced God's grace and God's love for you in Jesus. And it's encouraging to see you sharing that with one another. Sometimes I get to see it. Um, Sometimes I hear about it, people I'm talking to or visiting with, and they talk about how others have served them and built them up and loved them with the love of Christ how somebody showed up in a hard moment, encouraged them, prayed for them, brought food, whatever. It's encouraging, and I hope you are encouraged uh, to know that, that, that God is at work in you. Uh, we're, we're not the only church who's known for this, but I'm, I'm proud and thankful to the Lord uh, that when, when I hear people talk about the body of believers here at Filbert, that that's one thing that they talk about. Uh, that this is a congregation that loves one another. So praise God, and I hope you can be encouraged uh, in that, that you are loving one another. Um, keep it up and depend on the Lord in all of that. Second point of application is just to highlight three ways that we can continue to grow uh, in our love for one another. One is through, through service, seeking ways to demonstrate love practically, uh, to build one another up, Uh, to seek ways to serve where there is a need. Uh, Jesus has placed you in his body. He's placed you in his family. And he's given gifts to all of his people to build up the whole body, which means all of us have something that others need. And you all have something that we need. We need one another. And there's, there's a call in this to practically serve and love one another as members of the body of Christ. And then two, two final ways that we demonstrate love. And I, and I think this is part of what Francis Schaeffer was getting at when he talked about Christian love as, as a mark of the Christian, as the final apologetic, the thing that demonstrates to the world that the Father sent the Son. So two, two ways to love one another. One is to be big repenters, to be big repenters. If you've received the love of God in Jesus Christ... That means that you have righteousness from Jesus that covers over all your sin. And and you're accepted by God because of what Christ has done. And it's the knowledge of that grace in the gospel that frees us from hypocrisy and enables us to say boldly and often, I'm sorry, I sinned, will you forgive me? And to seek to change from the inside out, that internal longing for change and growth putting off sin and putting on love for one another. One way we can love one another is to be big repenters. Luther, Martin Luther said in some context, I'm not sure, so this might be out of context, he said, sin boldly, but repent more boldly still. And he wasn't advocating that we be big sinners. He was advocating that we trust in the grace of God. Uh, to not think that God is somehow afraid of your sin, God is gracious, and he loves repentance. So we can love one another by being big repenters. And then finally, we can love one another by being big forgivers. That might be the harder one to do uh, if we're honest with ourselves, to receive someone else's request for forgiveness when we're the ones who've been wounded, when we're the ones who have been offended, and to willingly give that forgiveness But Peter is reminding us here that we've been born of imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God, which he says is the gospel that has been preached to you. And that gospel is good news that God forgives sinners, that God has welcomed our repentance, that he has welcomed our confession of sin, and he has said, I have forgiven you. I have taken your sin and removed it from you as far as east is, from the west. I've tied it to a millstone. I've dropped it to the bottom of the ocean. It will never rise up against you. The debt of your sin has been canceled because it's been nailed to the cross, and Jesus bore it all in your place for you. He took it away. It's done. You are forgiven if you are in Jesus Christ, and you can trust that if God has forgiven you, if God is at work in you, God sees your wounds. God sees uh, your pain. If you've been sinned against, the God himself will be the one who enables you to forgive and who comforts you in that forgiveness. And that perhaps is the most powerful demonstration of the love that Peter calls us to in this passage, to be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Let me close with an illustration from the life of a man named Tom Skinner. Uh, a beautiful demonstration of this, this kind of love. Skinner was an African-American evangelist born and raised in New York. Uh, he was wonderfully converted, and in his uh, memoir, he writes a story about how he was uh, faced with this challenge of loving his enemies uh, soon after he came to Christ as, um, as a teenager He relates this incident that happened several weeks after his conversion, and I'll I'll just read from it. I'll I'll change a little bit of it. Uh, You can read it for yourself. But he says this: In a football game several weeks later, my newfound Christian love met another test. He played left. He says, "I played left guard on the football team. It was my job on end runs or off tackle plays to run interference." when the halfback took the ball. Now, those are a bunch of words I don't understand. Let me get to the point. (laughs) In the midst of this, he was doing his job as um, left guard, and this guy from the other team knocked him down uh, to the ground after he had blocked him. He jumped in front of him, slammed him in the stomach, bent over him, uh, and started kicking him on the ground shouting all manner of obscenities that we won't repeat here. Tom Skinner says this, Under normal circumstances, the old Tom Skinner would have jumped up and pulverized this white boy. But instead, I got up from the ground and I said to him, You know, because of Jesus Christ, I love you anyway. The kid threw his helmet down to the ground, ran off the field, and couldn't play for the rest of the game. When the game was over, he met me in the locker room and said to me, Tom, you've done more to knock prejudice out of me by telling me that you loved me than you would have if you'd socked my jaw in. Skinner had received the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He was new. He was a new creation. He experienced uh, the deep prejudice that uh, was held against him because of the color of his skin, felt it on the football field that day, uh, and he chose by faith to obey that command. I don't know if that other guy was a Christian. It didn't matter to Tom Skinner whether he was or not. He knew that Jesus had called him to love not only Christians, but even to love his enemies, and that's what he did. That spoke more volume to this young man who had injured him than if Tom had stood up and you know, given him tit for tat and knocked him back down in response. Peter calls us to love as the demonstration that we have received God's grace in Jesus Christ for ourselves, that we've experienced how good the Lord is, how kind he has been to us. He calls us to love one another earnestly and with sincerity, to do it as the outworking of his grace in us, uh, and to do so in a way that causes us to grow as we put off sin and eagerly desire to know more and more of the Lord Jesus And out of that strength and that experience of God's grace to love one another more and more uh, as long as we see the day drawing near. May he continue to do so in our midst. Would you pray with me?